Cosmos Science, news, magazine, podcasts, video and features. Welcome to Cosmos Country, where our reporters talk about dealing with climate change in rural and regional Australia. Prosperity and education, they're our values, and everything that we do relates to that. We are introducing a massive fire risk. Our first species released beyond the fence on the sanctuary was brush-tailed possum, and they've done really well, which is incredibly exciting. The ocean is vast, the issues are complex, but there's so much love for it. Welcome to this week's edition of Cosmos Country. I'm Glenn Morrison, and here with me is my colleague and Cosmos journalist, Marie Lowe. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into our oceans, how much Australians love them, and ways we might help to save them. To help us are two guests. First, Carolyn Grant. Welcome, Director of Engagement for the Volvo Ocean Lovers Festival. Sounds fantastic. And Dr. James Hunter, Curator of Naval Heritage and Archaeology at the Australian National Maritime Museum. I'm going to hand over first of all to you, Marie. Yeah, hello, guys, and thanks for joining us today. Carolyn, I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously we're a nation of ocean lovers. Uh, Was that the impetus behind the festival or was there more to it than that? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, 80% of this great nation lives around our coastal fringe. We're very engaged in the ocean, so... Yes, it came, it it was born out of that knowledge and actually a a young ocean lover based in Bondi whose father and uncle were Olympic sailors, so very engaged in the ocean scene. And, you know, they'd been dwelling for a long time on the fact there were emerging issues that we could sense were impacting the ocean. But, you know, you live around our coast and you look out at the sea and you it's hard to see that there's much going wrong when you get these beautiful ocean estates for us. So, but we knew there were issues. And so we we born this idea that people needed to take a better look at that. Um, but we wanted to make that engaging and kind of tap into Australia's cultural love of the ocean uh, and keep that upbeat and hopeful. So that's where the festival was born and born in Bondi. Hmm. So a lot so, of us live on the coast, don't we? We do. We um <laughs> They calculate there's about 500 million beach visits a year from Australians, so we're pretty wedded to our coast. So all those beachgoers are heading to Bondi. Can you, for, for those who don't know, can you just tell us a bit about what is the festival, when's it on, that sort of thing? Absolutely. So it's on in March every year. This year uh, the free public festival will be the 23rd and 24th of March uh, and we run a couple of school days before that and... Uh, a conference at the Maritime Museum. But the big free festival event is inside and outside that beautiful new pavilion at Bondi. It spills over onto the beach with yoga and sandcastle building competitions and marketplaces. But right at the heart of it, we put on a beautiful talks program pretty much nonstop over the two days, and it's all free. We call it Science in Your Swimmers, literally come out of the water, walk off the beach with your sandy feet, and you can come and sit in on a fantastic talk and hear from people like Dr James and hear a bit more about the ocean. So we'll intersect you with some science while you may be listening to some music, seeing some art, wandering through some markets that are all eco-friendly ocean ideas. Oh, it sounds it sounds fantastic. We might just cross to, to James, Dr James there for a second, and, and I should mention for full disclosure that uh, Cosmos is a, is a sponsor of the festival, um, which sounds like a, a great thing. 
Dr. James, Australians love a good shipwreck. We're fascinated by their stories and, and love to visit them. Some go diving of them. Can you tell us what's your interest in shipwrecks? Were you like a young scuba diver bent on archaeology or how did it all get started? I was very interested in the ocean. Uh, I grew, I was actually born in the Midwest, U.S. Uh, I was born in Indiana. And there are no oceans in Indiana, obviously. My father also grew up in the Midwest. And he, as a kid, watched the show Sea Hunt, which had Lloyd Bridges, you know, and he'd go and have undersea adventures. And my dad just was completely blown away by this. So he decided he wanted to learn scuba dive. And uh, when he uh, joined the military, when he was a young man, he joined the military and went to Vietnam, came back. They gave him the opportunity to go where he wanted. He said, I want to go to Florida. So we moved to Florida when I was four and he got right into diving. And so as a result of that, I was certified by the age of 10 and I grew up around, you know, he dove shipwrecks. He had friends that, you know, we laugh about it now, but they were, they were wreck riders. They would, you know, take portholes and stuff off of wrecks, you know, the kind of, you know, stuff I don't do, but I think it was growing up in that environment. Uh, I, I became quite obsessed with the ocean. I started as a land archaeologist and then had a realization I could do it underwater. Uh, I did a field school and I never looked back. I mean, I just, that's what I wanted to do. And here I am. So it's all become a a, a science endeavor and and that's, that's brought to you to the festival. Carolyn, how did you, how did you hear about James work with shipwrecks? We, we have a lot of engagement with the, National Maritime Museum, it's, it's a natural fit, of course, and they have a fabulous education resource and they come down to our festival and bring underwater drones. Literally, you can drive a drone around North Bondi beaches. It's really fun and they bring a lot of their educational material. Last year they came and spoke about, uh, uh, Emily Jatef spoke about her dive down to the Titanic, which people love that talk, and the kids just lap that up, really fun. So we know the shipwrecks are popular. Um, There's a lot of divers in our community as well. In fact, we hold a a big dive event for uh, trying to save the grey nurse shark. So we do a census actually as part of the festival. So that's a coordinated dive all up the eastern seaboard and reports into our festival during the event. So we engaged with that community and we knew about James's work and we're super keen to have him. There's some really interesting stuff he's going to talk about in our Ocean Lovers Talks program over the weekend. Can you tell us a bit about that, James? What are you going to be talking about? So we, uh, oh, and full disclosure, this is kind of fun. Uh, Emily is actually my wife. Yeah. <laughs> How strange. We're the no, it's maritime easy to get to you too. <laughs> Did you my daughter has no interest in archaeology, which is hilarious, but yeah. <laughs> you didn't get um, to the Titanic, James? No, I didn't go. As Em and I like to say to one another, she's big into submersibles. I'm big into dive gear. If I can't get to it with scuba on, I, I, I don't want to do it. Um, yeah, it's too deep. <laughs> so, but she loves the scientific submersible side of it, loves that. And so we complement each other pretty well in that regard. Yeah, no, the the, the talk that uh, I'm giving. Um, so it was kind of an interesting uh, coincidence. This is back in 2018. I was introduced to a guy named Holger Deuter, who's in Germany. And he's a really interesting Renaissance man kind of guy. Like he's into music and art and 3D digital, you know, digitization and all this other really amazing stuff. And I was invited to a meeting where he was there to talk about 
doing digital artwork related to shipwrecks. And so we chatted a bit and I thought, well, it's, it's kind of cool. But what I've always really thought would be neat would be if you could recreate a shipwreck dive, you know, in a VR format where someone could literally descend down a line, look around a wreck, learn about the shipwreck, and then come back to the surface and, and, and have an authentic environment. It's murky, you know, a bit dark. You don't have tropical fish. You've got, you know, a little nanny guy and stuff like that swimming around. And Holger was really kind of taken by the idea. So that kick-started it. And so we've done two of those. We've done one on a paddle steamer here in Sydney Harbor. And the most recent one we've done is the South Australian down at Victor Harbor in South Australia. And yeah, so I'm just going to talk about that and, you know, what we did and how we got there. It was a great project done long distance, a lot of it during COVID, as it turns out. And just the work that his students have done is mind-blowing. I cannot believe how good they are, you know, and, and they're students. And I mean, I fear, don't fear, but I'm, I'm amazed at what they're going to do as professionals because they're, they're already up here. <laughs> so on the subject of the South Australian, James, I believe it was uncovered partly because of climate change, you believe. Is that right? We think that there was definitely an environmental factor to that. We found the shipwreck site in April of 2018. Uh, we, we went out, we did a systematic survey and we found it. What was interesting though, is when we found it, there was a little bit of the wooden, the surviving wooden hull that was kind of sticking out of the, the sand. And above that sand were fairly dense seagrass beds. It was, it was patchy, but there were pretty decent beds, you know, all along the wreck site. When we were talking to one of the guys from South Australia's Department for Environmental Water, who was operating the boat we were diving off of, he made the comment that he and his sons had actually swam over that same spot in, in December of 2017. So only a few months prior, they were snorkeling and they didn't see it. It was not there. But he also noted that there were a lot more seagrass beds there. And he had noticed that they had, had disappeared, you know, and, and weren't nearly as prolific as they had been. As time went on, we came back to the site in 2018 and 2019, uh, up to the, the COVID uh, pandemic beginning, and we noticed that the wreck was uncovered on its own. Um, it just the sand was deflating. It was, it was coming off. And we were also noticing a correlation in that the, the seagrass beds we were seeing were disappearing. So we kind of put two and two together and realized, well, what's happening here probably is that the seagrass is dying, and that in turn is, that's the thing holding the sand together and the sediment. So that's not holding it together anymore. And currents and everything else are moving it off the site and uncovering it. We know that there was a temperature spike in 2017, 2018. And so the best theory that we have is that there was this temperature spike that led to a die off of the seagrass, which in turn disarticulated, which in turn released the sediment and it uncovered the site. So. And, and there apparently were other areas where they had seagrass die off in South Australia as well around that time. So that appears to be the correlation between the two. You're listening to Cosmos Country. I'm Jamie Seidel, one of your regular presenters. While currently an Adelaide-based city slicker, I've lived in the old outback mining town of Lee Creek, the energy hub of Port Augusta, and the regional centre of Murray Bridge. But my heart remains in McLean's hometown of Crystal Brook. Having watched climate change unfold from a contentious academic warning to a lived experience, I'm fascinated to see how the inherent resilience of our rural communities is rising to this new challenge. That's Cosmos Country. 
from reading some of your material, there's there's kind of a flip side to that uh, potential now boom in tourism, uh, shipwreck tourism as a result of climate change, but it's also having an effect on the shipwrecks themselves, isn't it? It is. That's correct. In the biz, we like to talk about how shipwrecks will will achieve a state of equilibrium with their environment. You know, shipwrecks. It initially breaks up and deteriorates. It goes through a process of, of breaking down. And then in many cases with, with older wooden shipwrecks, at least, they get buried in whole or in part. And what that does is it creates a deoxygenated environment, which is ideal for preserving wreck material, particularly organics. So wood, bone, leather, that sort of thing. As long as there's no oxygen in that environment, you don't have bacteria, you don't have uh, macroorganisms to feed on it uh, because they will. <laughs> they, they're like, ooh, fun, organic stuff. I'm going to eat this. As long as that environment exists, they're fine. As soon as, let's say, that protective layer of sediment comes off the wreck, then you get oxygen introduced into the environment, and then that kickstarts a lot of reactions. Um, you get microbial development, you get macroorganisms, uh, you get sunlight, you get differences in temperature, pH, acidity in the water. All of these different things act uh, on those shipwrecks. And in instances where you get increases in things like acidity, pH, you know, water temperature, salinity, that sort of thing, because of changes in climate, that accelerates those processes. So, yeah, we are seeing issues where certain shipwrecks are, are being affected because of these changes. I'd like to know from both of you probably this, there, there's a very strong interest in science in our oceans. Do you think that people's love of wrecks and people's love of the oceans is going to help them to become uh, better at helping to save our oceans? Certainly that's the premise with the festival and certainly that's what we're finding. Literally people coming up and telling us it was life-changing to listen to some of the talks last year because the ocean is vast, the issues are complex, but there's so much love for it. But the more you can find out, so this is very much our premise, you can dive in and talk to people like James but find out lots of those issues it's it's very hard to get under the surface that's why I love the VR piece and actually in the room that you're going to be speaking in James we're going to have a an exhibition called out of sight out of mind very much in relation to your work and that's a beautiful set of about 17 massive flat photographs but you can take your phone use the QR code and dive in they're all 360 degree images so it takes you on one of those almost nauseating dives under and around the photograph. So that'll be in that same room as an art exhibition. And it's lots of those kind of ideas and talks where people can just find out a little bit more and then we get lots of feedback on their hunger to do something more to understand a little better and improve, you know, human behaviour towards the ocean. We we know it's been pretty appalling and it's it's that ripple effect. It's starting to become a wave. People are very aware of our impact now on the ocean, I think, and they're keen to find out more and do better. Is it because it's it's like hidden under the water? Very few, a lot of people will swim, but fewer dive. So they're not experienced of that very fine environment under the water and seeing all the fish in there habitats i've one of the loveliest thing in my life has been discovering that some fish go to sleep and you can sort of pat them as you die it's just fantastic but the vr portal of entry to that experience seems to me to be a game changer that people who might never go under the water can 
now experience it. How how visceral is that? Do you think either of you? How, how real are those VR experiences, and how much do you think it might change people's readiness to accept new ideas about the ocean? The one that uh, Holger and his team have done for South Australian is really impressive from my perspective. I mean, I, I look at that thing and it's like I'm on a rack. I mean, they, they've right. you know they've recreated the visibility. You know, it's not crystal clear. It's murky. Um, you know, they've got bits of seagrass floating in the water column, and you know there are fish swimming around you. Other divers come by you, and you know so. Um, it is very much like being on the site, which, yeah, I, I think at least viscerally, I mean, certainly when you're actually working on a rack site, there's a whole lot of different things going on and very minute and major tasks that you're doing. But I think purely from the perspective of seeing what I see or any other maritime archaeologist working on the site, uh, it's been pretty effective in, in relaying that, at, at least as far as I'm concerned. I'm a bit biased because I worked on it, but um, I think when people you know, try it out. I'm hoping they'll be wild by it. And, and I, I'm also hoping it will give them an appreciation for what shipwrecks are. I think most people have this idea that a shipwreck looks like a ship. It's what I call Scooby-Doo shipwreck. You know, it's they're intact, masts are standing, sails are flapping in the current, you know, but most wrecks don't look like that. You know, you've got bits of them in many cases, they look like busted up matchsticks. So I'm hoping people will, will walk away from that going oh yeah so that's what a shipwreck looks like and maybe the other thing that will come out of this is you know people will see this and then go snorkeling possibly and go oh yeah i've seen something like that on the seabed and you know hopefully they'll they'll report it and people can come investigate it and figure out what they've got i'm so busting to ask whether you've ever found a chest of gold james <laughs> <laughs> i get that question a lot uh, i have not <laughs> I have found a chest full of iron spikes, though, um, wow. which was not nearly as exciting. I was working on a Spanish shipwreck from the 18th century in Florida uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And we were working in the bow of the wreck, and we came across this wooden box uh, crate. And, of course, the contents had corroded and had formed this thing called concretion, which is kind of this you know calcified layer of corrosion product over the top of whatever was in it. It was very heavy. The box was intact, which is incredible because it was timber. We recovered it, you know, thinking, ooh, because one of the wrecks that we had considered for this shipwreck was a Spanish ship that brought what was called the Situado, which was the payroll for the, the Spanish garrison there. And we thought, ooh, maybe this is the chest with the, with the Situado in it. Uh, so we took it, we got it x-rayed, we got it CAT scanned, it was a bunch of spikes. <laughs> so not treasure, but pretty cool um, all the same. And clearly that's where they kept their spare fasteners, you know, if they had them to make repair. So that, that was good. We do love wrecks in Australia. Is the number of visits to a wreck a problem in, in keeping them preserved? Yeah, I mean, it can be. You know, we I think most people are pretty good about not interfering with shipwrecks. I mean, the, the message has kind of, over the years, you know, gotten out. And I think most people sort of appreciate that these wrecks are, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're finite. That's one thing I, I think a lot of people should understand about them. Uh, certainly, you know, there are concerns about reefs and ecosystems and with absolutely, you know, absolutely there are concerns about that. 
One of the advantages, though, if given the right opportunity in the right environment, is they'll replicate themselves. But shipwrecks don't do that. Once you destroy them or remove them, they're gone. You don't get them back. So, yeah, I, I think as time's gone on, people have come to appreciate that you know they're important. Uh, they have stories to tell, and they are finite, and they need to be protected. And the other important thing for me, too, is they're reefs. A lot of these shipwrecks have reefs on them. They've got fish and all these animals. And if you destroy that wreck, you destroy that ecosystem. It's gone. So there's more than just the archaeology and history at stake here. There's the actual ecosystem that lives on it. We're losing reefs, losing shipwrecks, perhaps. But what else will people learn of that we may be threatened when we, yeah. when I, if I go to the, to the festival, what am I, what am I going to learn about? Actually, we've got a session uh, called Coral, Can It Save Itself? Because there's some really interesting work and actually there's a um, big anniversary coming up for One Tree Island where all the scientists go and study our reef in the north, actually. Um, so we're going to do a session about that. And, you know, corals are really interesting species and those ecosystems Australians love and absolutely they're the cause of a lot of shipwrecks. <laughs> they're also vital to the ocean ecosystems. Uh, the Sydney Institute of Marine Science are going to come along and talk about Project Restore. And, in fact, we'll have a really big installation at the front of the pavilion where the community can interact with that project, which is about how we are actually putting restoring ecosystems in the marine environments, particularly Sydney Harbour. Um, so those beautiful living seawall tiles, if people haven't seen those, they should come and get up close because unless you're diving or getting around underwater it's hard to see them but they're an incredible project from uh, marine scientists in Sydney that's now gone global restoring you know a harbour has lots of flat man-made concrete walls and the marine species can't attach themselves very easily so this clever project replicates perhaps a mangrove or a, a more complex wall environment and then it's proving that the critters that are populating it rapidly and those are the the feeder critters that cleanse our water and clean up harbour environments. So lots of clever restoration ideas like the seaweed and crayweed replanting. On crayweed, we're doing a, a session on algae gold, we're calling it. Algae could be the saviour of the planet, this fantastic product that grows with just a bit of sunlight in the water and it can be turned into people are making thongs and clothing out of it. They're filtering your beer out of it and it can be a food source for the planet so we're going to have a really good discussion about algae it's just this wonder source from the sea uh, we're going to have a chat about the high seas and the deep seas so people like sea shepherd coming along what's actually happening out there in the deep seas there's some scary stuff and the rules of law mm. on the high seas so that will be quite an exciting panel. We're going to investigate shark nets and what's the alternative. Pretty passionate communities around that on our coast for whether they should stay or go. Uh, so those those kind of subject matters and then lots of talks about the big creatures of the sea. So we will be investigating whales. Are they talking to us? What are they saying? We've got some fantastic whale scientists coming in who actually Olaf Manyeki is talking to me about a whale spa. So he's been investigating the fact that the whales go and actually have their own spa session on the bottom of the sea. And they, <laughs> so there's some really fun stuff happening in those spaces. Tim Jarvis is coming, the Australian adventurer, to talk to us about 
his latest expeditions at Macquarie Island, very precious marinescape and landscape for Australia. So really diverse kind of sessions. And we're throwing in a bit of comedy. So we're going to do, is climate change a joke? Which, of course, it's not. But we're going to bring in some people to give us a little bit of levity and a laugh around some of those heavy subjects. Well, I'll be booking a massage at the whale spa. (laughs) (laughs) Check in with Olaf. He's based on the Gold Coast. Nice place to go and visit for a spa. Well, it sounds like a great excuse to go to Bondi, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Marin. No need for much of an excuse to go to Bondi. It's a great place. (laughs) That's about all we have time for today. Thanks very much to Marie and to Carolyn Grant from Volvo Ocean Lovers Festival and Dr James Hunter from the Australian National Maritime Museum. Until next time, that's Cosmos Country.